Hello and welcome to Quilted Idiots Markets Uncut Podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and trends that we've been exploring for you here at Quilted Idiot. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you are listening on, or by following hashtag QC Weekly Comment on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Fraser Wilkinson, Investment Manager based out of our Leeds office. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by Richard Carter, our Head of Fixed Interest Research, and Ollie Creasy, Head of Property Research. Good morning to you both. Richard, we've been waiting for a while for inflation to come down and then interest rates to start to come back down as well. Yet inflation seems to be stubbornly double the stated target. What is the outlook for interest rates and inflation for the rest of the year? Yeah, I mean, it is correct. It is been, it has been a bit uh, slow to come down. But actually, I think, um, you know, there is some grounds for optimism, Fraser, for the rest of the year, particularly in the UK. I mean, the, 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 the kind of stubborn side has been the uh, services size, kind of you know, particularly on particularly wages, things like that. But actually, food and energy bills are, are coming down. Um, and although we're still at four percent in the UK, you know, if you believe the forecasters, and you know, over the last couple of years they haven't covered themselves in glory, but if you believe the forecasters, we should be heading back towards two percent CPI within the next few months, which would be, I think, um, you know, would be fantastic news actually. Whether we'll stay there for very long depends on you know various factors. But if we do stay around 2%, at that point, you know, the Bank of England might be a bit more amenable to interest rate cuts. So at the moment, market's pricing in first rate cut in August. Um, as we know, we're supposedly in recession now. And, and you know, you can make the argument if inflation is better behaved, then we, sh- we could be cutting interest rates certainly um, in the summer, if not the spring. Well, that would be good news. I think one of the things that might not be understood by all of our listeners is the effect that interest rates have on investments generally. Would you be able to walk us through that? Probably not just our listeners. I think uh, market analysts and, and central bankers as well sometimes. I mean, it, 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 yeah, it doesn't always work the same way. But I mean, in general, big picture is, you know, higher interest rates means you know, increase of cost of borrowing for uh, governments and, and, and companies tend to slow the economy. And if, you know, if you're comparing various investments, it, you know, increases the, uh, you know, the sort of return you can get from cash and increases the return potentially on bonds, but and, and, and maybe makes equities a little bit less uh, attractive at the margin. But it varies for different sectors. And actually, banks tend to do quite well um, when interest rates are higher. So low, lower interest rates should be good on the whole. Um, you know, as I say, if it reduces the returns available on cash and, and, and helps the economy, you know, lower interest rates should be good uh, for investors, no question. Obviously, you've got to think sometimes why are they cutting interest rates? Because if they're cutting interest rates because of bad news, you know, I mean, you know, cast your mind back to the financial crisis, uh, lower interest rates may just be offsetting, you know, some bad news in the rest of the economy. But at a margin, I think we'd all welcome uh, lower interest rates as we, as we go through the year. Absolutely. Turning to politics, Richard, is there a sense of how the market might take a Conservative or Labour government? And any ideas of when the election will be? Uh, I wish I knew. I, you look at the polls and, you know, by-elections and all the rest of it, um, you know, the Tories are really struggling. You'd expect them to want to cling on to November, really, is, is the most realistic outcome. I mean, there's still some speculation around May, but would, you know, would Rishi Sunak vote to uh, depart as Prime Minister 
uh, uh, you know, later rather than earlier. We'll have to wait and see, but I, I suspect they'll cling on till November and, and hope for hope for some good news and you know to to turn up. I I don't think markets are too concerned. I think they're more concerned about you know maybe what happens in the US and and all the rest of it. Um, late you know the days of sort of Labour being extreme left um, you know have gone certainly for now. So I think. Um, uh, you know, markets won't be too concerned about uh, about Labour getting in, and certainly that seems to be um, on the cards at, at the moment. Well, that leads into the national debt. Uh, it seems to be astronomical with the Office for National Statistics stating that public sector net debt stood at £2,686 billion as at the turn of the year, and the government uh, borrowing £119 billion more in the last nine months of 2023 alone. Is this level of borrowing sustainable? Uh, probably not. Although you know, you have to you know look at it in a wider context. You know, the cost of uh, dealing with COVID. We're not the only country in the world, by any stretch of the imagination, who has high levels of public debt uh, and needs to do something to to try and bring it down. Um, that said, you know, markets tend to worry about these things now and then. Um, we did have the big warning shot, didn't we? A few, you know, what was that? A year or so ago, when um, it seems probably longer now, when Liz Truss was in charge for those few, few brief periods, uh, and the sort of chaos over the mini budget. If you make the wrong noises uh, and sort of um, believe you can get away with unlimited borrowing, or, or 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 sort of not really showing markets that you have a, a plan to reduce debt. Um, then that can lead to some pretty nasty consequences. But at the moment, I think the the government's you know fairly well you know, fairly well regarded by markets and and kind of generally has a sort of long term plan uh, to try and get debt down. Um, albeit, you know, it always seems to be four or five years away when they're actually going to do it rather than now. But I think it was interesting that um, you know going back to the election potential election. Labour are rowing back on some of their commitments to green spending. Um, They can see that uh, the public finances are not in a situation where you can sort of take liberties with tax and spending. So I think that, if anything, the the whole Liz Trust debacle uh, was a reminder to us and politicians that, um, yeah, you can't take things for granted. No, absolutely. Careful not to overstretch yourselves. Well, thank you, Richard. On, on Sort of on that topic, Ollie, the uh, mortgage market, um, I was reading, according to the Office for National Statistics, the average house price in the UK was £285,000 as at the end of 2023, a decline of £4,000 over the year. I, I know different metrics and, and different companies produce different statistics, but that's the official government one. Are things stabilising in the property market or do we look like things will continue to be tough? Uh, How how long an answer do you want to this question, Fraser? Um, You'll have to start making that that cut signal for me if uh, if it gets a bit boring for you. Um, But you're absolutely right to highlight uh, those those metrics. And I think the the adjective that you use uh, depends a little bit on who you are. Those those numbers are either frustrating or resilient or tough, depending on on who you are in the housing market and whether you have a mortgage or not and uh, and things like that. what I will say is, you know, four thousand pounds over over the course of the year—that's about a sort of two percent or so of a decline, which, uh, you know, it's not—it's not hugely meaningful in the scheme of things. Um, which is why I'm using words like tough and resilient and and so on. Um, 
Making house price forecasts is really, really hard. And I will put my hands up and say I'm not especially good at it. I'd like to think I'm good at a few other things, but this is not one of them. Um, but my my central thesis is that, you know, A, there's a lot of moving parts here. There's a lot of people with mortgages, and those mortgages are either recently uh, sort of rebased to higher rates or they will quite soon. But there's also a lot of homeowners who don't have a mortgage and are more or less insulated from interest rates and, and other things. Um, there's a rising population and a, a general undersupply of property, but there's also difficulty getting finance and, and, and getting hold of a mortgage that supports uh, a house purchase, especially in places like the Southeast. Um, so what I would say is I think things are probably going to stay relatively stable in terms of house prices. I, I'm, I really struggle to come up with an idea of a sort of a rationale as to why things might do a sort of minus 20% big sort of number um but i can foresee a, a scenario where they continue to sort of trickle downwards so that sort of handful of percent a year um and i do think things are going to remain a little bit challenging i'm also not going to go out there and say plus 20 percent next year or, or anything like that because i think there's a lot of just as many headwinds as there are tailwinds um if you want a, a more specific forecast i think one of the things actually that that we need to think quite hard about is what happens to volumes um, i think prices may well stay relatively stable but i think we'll probably see a low number of volume uh, traded in this this year because fewer people are actually able to afford those prices if they do stay stable so how's that for a prediction <laughs> Very good. Yeah. <laughs> you could be a politician. Uh, in our uh, world, we tend to look at commercial property rather than uh, residential property. How does that compare at the moment? Are prices rising? Are they falling? Is it harder or, or easier at the moment? Yeah, it's it's a good question, actually, Fraser. Thank you. And, and you're right to make the, the comparison between commercial and residential because they are quite different. They do behave quite differently. Uh, what I say to people is you know, commercial property has generally been governed by the head, uh, you know, cold-hearted investment decisions being made there, whereas residential prices are a little bit more governed by the heart. And I don't mean that to sound uh, dismissive or anything. I think that's sensible. Making a house price purchase is a very personal and uh, a big decision for most people. Um, but what we have seen in the last, let's say, 18 months, two years or so in commercial property is a very direct response to those interest rate rises that we've seen. Um, you know, prices have fallen 25 30% in some cases, um, rebased to you know to reflect the the economic outlook and and things are now moving on. Um, some sectors are seeing slight increases in values, not big. Um, and there's others out there. You know, office is a great example, which is still I say maybe reeling or, or struggling with the the impact of things like working from home and, and you know trying to figure out what the new normal is in their particular sectors. So um, the the real difference is that commercial property values have moved to reflect interest rates and, and residential prices have generally, I wouldn't say ignored them, but but stayed pretty buoyant despite them. Um, uh, yeah, so that's a, that's a positive history, I suppose, of the two sectors. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in your area, I guess there's a, there's a lot to a lot of different types of commercial properties. Um, are there, do you notice differences between sectors? Are the yields different or, or risks? Um, yeah, they are. And you can well, give me a yield number and I'll find you a property that trades at it more or less, um, unless it's below about 5%, which these days is a very rare beast. Um, you know, Again, you go back two years and 4% in any sector probably said you're buying a prime piece of real estate. 
these days that number is probably more like five to five and a half and again you know that that's the impact of interest rates i think that's eminently reasonable and sensible if anything i'm a bit surprised that that yield hasn't gone higher still given that you've got the bank of england at five and a quarter um you know five to five and a half isn't especially uh you're not getting much of a return uh on, on that sort of investment really but yeah look the, the, each each sector has its own sort of pros and cons and and, and upsides and downsides um you know, you, you look at five and a half, you can get that in, in sectors like real prime office still, where there's still huge demand in places like central London. You can get it in industrial properties, which is, you know, the, the Amazon and other online shopping plays basically sort of boiled down into a into a single sector. Um, but if you go into slightly more challenged areas like offices outside of prime London and uh, you know, shopping centers, other types of retailers, you know, pretty much across the board you could easily be looking at a, a yield of sort of seven eight maybe even nine percent in the worst cases so um yeah there's there's a lot of variance by sector and there's a lot of variance by quality as well so it, there's a there's a whole host of different property types out there and I, i'm not sure i can summarize them any better than that really mm. well i guess the follow-on question is to ask what your favorite types of commercial property are um, and I, I wonder, reading the news and the, and the hype in, uh, in in some of the financial sector, are there any opportunities in the AI sector at the moment for property? Yeah, uh, well, my favourite types of properties are the ones that go up in value, more or less. Uh, that's uh, that's it in a nutshell again. Um, and and what, <laughs> what sectors are those? I suppose you'll be curious to know. Uh, there's not many of them and there's not many that are going up fast for sure but um you know i am generally focused in on those industrial type assets um you know the 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 amazon warehouses and and the similar types are pretty strong in terms of their structural demand um and in particular the ones that sort of find themselves on the outskirts of outskirts of suburban areas are uh, of particular interest you know it's, it's very relatively easy to build a, a mega warehouse on the uh on the the banks of the m1 but um, to build one in in Surrey that can cater to uh, people like me uh, ordering Amazon packages every other week or so um, is a slightly more challenging prospect. Those things aren't quite so easy to build. So uh, the demand there is really high and the values are, are slowly but surely moving in the right direction. And you ask about AI, that's a, that shows that you've been reading the research that I put out from time to time, which I appreciate um, because there are a few companies out there. Um, uh, and if you think about where AI lives, uh, such as it does live anywhere, uh, it lives in data centers, which is effectively a, a purpose-built industrial shed, really. Um, it's, a, it's an empty warehouse, but one with an enormous amount of power supply, um, very clean and, and, and chilled, as well as uh, a lot of energy being put into the, um, into the actual servers, a lot of energy being put into the cooling mechanisms as well, um, and then very well connected. So that means geographically well located. You get uh, areas of West London and, and just outside of New York, for example, that uh, cater to those major conurbations. Um, and I suppose you could technically build them anywhere as long as you've got really good fiber optic cables and so on connecting you to the places you want to be. But um, latency is is a, is a huge factor in the sector in general. Um, now there are a few companies out there that specialize in the um in the data center sector they don't all feed specifically into ai but you know people like netflix have got an awful lot of uh data center requirements as well amazon cloud microsoft azure those sort of names all use these as well as ai um 
And so there's a few US REITs out there that, that specialize and there's some of the larger companies out there as well. Um, and I wouldn't put the names out there as, a, as an investment recommendation as such right now, but you know, companies like Equinix and Digital Realty are, are names that if you are thinking of oh, AI is uh, an interesting idea and data centers sound interesting as well, um, they're the ones you should take a closer look at. Um, yeah, I think that's about all I should, all I need to say really on AI. It's a, it's a big, uh, big theme in our sector, just as it is in many others. Yes, they're coming for our jobs, apparently. <laughs> well, thank you both for those great insights and to all of you for listening. Did you enjoy our discussion on the podcast today? We'd love to hear from our listeners. So please review the show now, wherever you're listening, and share it on your socials. And you can also tag us at Quilt Achievute. To make sure you don't miss a future episode, tap the subscribe button. We will be back next week. And in the meantime, head over to our website, www.quiltachidiot.com, where you can read the accompanying market overview, as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. You can stay up to date with our thoughts on market news, industry insights, and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or our social media pages. And finally, do you have any questions you'd like to ask one of our experts for our next podcast? Simply ask them via the weekly comments page on our website. We would love to hear your questions. And that's it for today. So thank you, Richard and Ollie, for your time today and all of you for listening. See you next time.